Everyday, ordinary people living extraordinary lives. For the next few minutes, join me as I introduce you to some of them. I don't know if this was a lesson or not that I was blacking on 7th Avenue. That's something that I really had to deal with. I'm B. Moore, and welcome to 52 Conversations. We all have dreams of who and what we wish to be. Some of us are even fortunate enough to live out those dreams, like my next guest, working with some of the biggest names in show business through his creative influence to do the same. Uh, good afternoon. My name is Angelo Ellerby. I'm the president and CEO of Double Exposure Media. We're celebrating 47 years in the music industry. I'm also an author of many books. This is my second book, The Sense of Success. We also have produced a candle line, which is called Elegance, Ellerby's Elegance. Very nice, very nice. And Angelo, you know, I was, I was looking at your bio, and one of the things that I noticed that it has said was that you are considered the Henry Higgins of hip-hop. Now, can you give me a little bit of back yeah. background on that? Well, sure. It was the New York Times who called me the Henry Higgins of modern-day times. And clearly, when they called me that, I had to stop and go look it up and understand what they were really talking about. And I'm sure many of their readers had to do the same. And then I had to look back at what I had reviewed with regards to the works of Barry Gordy. He is, for me, the Henry Higgins of modern-day times. It was Barry Gordy who set forth the right to change society with, as it related to music and the exceptions of black music in white America. It was Barry Gordy who said, mm, why are these people not accepting my music, not accepting my artists? And he took and created what was a artist development program where he taught his artists the Motown way of educating them with the tools of survival in the music industry. He brought in a acting, he brought in a modeling coach. He brought in someone for voice and speech, diction, mannerisms. And that's all of what Double Exposure stood for. Back in its day and time when we began this company in the early 80s, Everyone was competing on a line of public relations. I needed to look inside of the bigger picture and find out the needs of African-American artists at that time. And what I was finding was no one was teaching or educating, stimulating, or motivating any of these artists to the staying power in this industry. So my reflections to Barry Gordy became apparent, and I began to visualize what it was going to do, what it was going to take in order for my artists to spell longevity and have longevity in this music industry. So it was Mary J. Blige, I think, who kicked, who kicked everything off. Uh, this was the time where she was a bit rebellious. Uh, did not, I guess, not listening to what the mother and father was teaching her in the beginning stages of her career. You got to remember, these kids are just thrown into the music industry. Back in its day and time, it was that they would take an artist and they would go through the, all of the protocols of longevity of the music industry, keeping them intact to their voice with vocal coach, diction and speech. 
teach how to look, how to wear, how to wear evening gowns, how to become ladies and gentlemen, how to conduct interviews. Thus, this is what Double Exposure continues to do to this day, is educate, stimulate, and motivate young artists to the awareness of what longevity should be in the music industry. I see. And you've had quite a career, Angelo, spanning 45 years. I mean, and it's been broad in terms of the artists that you've worked with and multifaceted in terms of the various roles that you've taken on. And my question to you is, how did you get started in the industry and how did you develop and expand in the industry? You know, I got started just by sheer luck. Um, my degree is in fashion design and I use to design clothes for a living. I started at some 15, 16 years old doing prom dresses when I was in high school. You have to understand, my mother was a no-nonsense kind of mother, and she believed that her seven children needed to be contributors to her household in order for it to function. So we all had to bring in contributions. My contribution at 15 years old was $500 a month, and I had to bring this in. Street, no boundaries. She wanted that money in. And so I started to take my craft and sewing and sketching. And I started to produce evening dresses. And I did it. I put in a sign on the wall in my high school simply said, I will do your prom dress for $100. Well, I didn't know that I was going to get maybe 200 people who wanted me to do their dress. And I did 200 dresses. I made the money, I contributed what I needed to do, and I went on and I graduated from the Fashion Institute of Technology. I did fashion shows throughout the city of Newark, that's where I was born and raised. Uh, I did it for many causes for the United Negro Scholarship Fund. Then at that time it was the HIV and AIDS, and AIDS awareness. And I began to do fashion shows to raise not just dollars and cents, but the consciousness and the awareness of the disease so that they were saying that it was plaguing our community. And we did several fashion shows. I remember one particularly was with Susan Taylor and Antonio Vargas. We did two fashion shows in a day. One was geared and directed to the children from the ninth grade to the 12th grade. And what these kids had to do, when they entered the ballroom, they all got pamphlets. They all were talked about, talked by instructors, uh, the who, what's, the when's, the where's, and the why's of HIV and AIDS, and so they became aware. And then we brought on the show, Then it was like Heavy D, and it was Sybil, and Jean Anthony Ray. It was just an array of different talents that we knew the kids wanted to see and that they would entertain them. But education had to come first, and then we had an evening show. And it was Susan Taylor, and it was Beverly Johnson, Iman, Carmen DeLavalon, and the list went on. So I began doing what I enjoyed doing, which was a passion, was the clothes. And the young lady by the name of Adrienne M. Tume came to me and said, I really needed someone to style my husband's album cover. Well, I didn't know what an M. Tume was back in that day and time, even though he had one of the biggest records in the country. I still didn't know who he was. And so therefore, I... I assisted in doing the album cover, the You, Me, and He album cover. And Tume said to me, Angelo, if you can do all this stuff for Camille, then I want you to come and manage me. I said, manage you? How am I going to manage you? I don't know anything about music. And every day for a year and a half, this man sent me to Sony Records, and I would meet 
with all the executives there, and sure they would call him and say, you sure this is your manager? Because I did not know what I was doing. But the great thing about him too, May, uh, was that when you came from these meetings, you had to sit and discuss with them all the questions they had asked you, and that he would give you the answers, or he would tell you how to uh, go back and write the email, and I became the manager for the group M2 May, and then the rest is history. Oh, wow, that's wonderful. So you were basically groomed by... I graduated from the James M2 May Institute. Yes, very much groomed by James M2 May. Wow, very nice. So you went on to start what's known as the, the first ever black-owned PR firm in Midtown Manhattan. What was that like, launching out and starting your own PR firm? Well, I'm going to be very honest with you. It was very, very difficult. It was very hard in the beginning. The first thing is that I had to, my vision was to be on 7th Avenue, and I didn't want to be anywhere else but 7th Avenue. As I was growing up, they talked about 7th Avenue with fashion and da-da-da-da. And I remember walking those blocks. I remember going in those buildings, and people would look at me very strange, like, are you a messenger? And it went on and on and on and on. So, one day, I'm walking down 7th Avenue, and I looked up, and I saw this sign that says 225,000 square feet, and da-da-da-da-da. And I said, um, mm, I know if I go in there, I'm not going to get this space. So I called my Italian lawyer and his assistant, and they went to look at the place. They took pictures for me. Uh, came back downstairs, and they said, do you want it? I said, yeah. Now, I'm born Angelo Antonio LRB. So the agreement or the leasing agreement was made out to Angelo Antonio, never unveiling the last name being Ellerby. So when I moved into, we did the lease for eight years. When I moved into, the owner of the building was Italian. He came up to the second floor because we had the entire floor. He says he really wanted to meet Antonio, <laughs> Angelo Antonio. So when he walked through the door and he saw me standing there, he says, I came to meet Angelo Antonio. I said, here I am in living color. Mm. And so I had to, we had to play those kinds of games in order to get accepted. And I stayed there for 23 years. Oh, wow. That's wonderful. Uh, it was not, it, it, you must understand that if you had to play those games then, I think we're still playing these, these sort of games till, still to this day. But we, what an what a open door entry for me. Uh, I was able to envision everything that I've ever envisioned in doing inside of this these four walls. Mm. We hired, I think, my first, we hired 17 different employees. We broke it down. There was a department for artist development. There was something for photo shoots. We went on through the needs of what we thought the industry wanted and needed desperately. And it just took... And it took on a new beginning for us, an acceptance where every record company in the New York City and abroad would call me and ask me for my advice of would I do this or would I do this and would I do that. Then I took on why I was running Double Exposure. I took on a, a senior vice presidency with Island Black Music. Uh, Hiram Hicks was the president. I was there, I came in and I started working with like Karen Clark here, the gospel, I call her the queen of gospel, mm -hmm. then it was Drew Hill, and then it went on and on and on and on, so I was able to do, I mean, I had to do what I needed to do in order to support, to support that company, to support myself, 
and I understood that it wasn't about the money initially. It was about putting my best foot forward, making these people see that I was qualified, and that's that's what happened. What were, if if you don't mind me asking, Angela, what were some of the early and most important lessons that you learned along that way? I don't know if this was a lesson or not, that I was black and on 7th Avenue. That's something that I really had to deal with. Then I, when I would walk inside of some of the executive meetings in some of the record companies, um, I was looked at like I had five heads. Uh, when I would sit down and I would begin to orchestrate the meetings and, and a white executive would turn to me and say, oh, you speak so well. And I would look at the person like they had five heads and said, what did you expect? Racism has always been blatant for me. I mean, I had to I had to fight through the various challenges of, of, of growing a business on 7th Avenue and being black on 7th Avenue. But the great reward was that I was able to teach and educate and motivate young people to the awareness of the business of music. I was teaching them accounting and I was teaching them royalties and how to read and how to write and how to sit in a chair and how to conduct yourself in a meeting. So all of the, all of the challenges were not important. So my mom always told me it's not about winning every race. It's just about staying in the race. Mm-hmm. If you stay in the race, eventually you will win. And that's, I think I've, I've, I got some kind of ribbon for winning. Definitely. So t- tell me a little bit about the, the PR firm itself. Now, you're, you're what is known as a full-service PR firm. Can you define what that means for my listeners, please? Our company is composed of seven people. I used to have a staff of 17, then it went from 17 to 27, from 27 down to where we're at at seven. I learned how to maximize and utilize my, my, my staff. So when it comes down to, I, I learned the importance of freelancing. I learned the importance of working from home. Those are key things. And selecting your right team members, the team members that that, uh, can come and bring contributions to the table. So we have two staff writers that writes all the bios, all the copy for websites, anything that has to do with writing. That's what they do. We generate it through them. Once we sign the contract with the client, it goes straight to our, our staff writers. And it is their job. Once I get a chance to talk to the new clients, I give them, I give the writers an overview of what I want it to flow like, what I want it to read like. Uh, and then I go into the graphic. If we have a graphic person, I go into the graphic person. This is what I want it to look like, what I want it to feel like. Uh, then we have a publicist that does hip-hop, one that does pop, one that does mainstream urban. Uh, and then we have now a social media person because social media has played a imperative role in our day-to-day process of doing publicity. So those are the mechanics of, of how the wheel turns with my company, with Double Exposure. I see. And I'm very hands-on, and I'm very hands-on, too. I do it all, just like everybody else. Uh, As a president, I don't sit back and believe that I am an orchestrator, but I must demonstrate. So help me understand this, because I'm going by what I believe to be the case. So if I'm not stating it correctly, definitely uh, just correct me, if you will. Okay. But... uh, 
I thought there was a time in which, you know, these different functions, uh, these different various functions of publicity and marketing and management were conducted separately for artists where they had one person do one aspect, another person to do the other aspect, and another person to do the third aspect and so forth. So all of these things are going and functioning under one house. And tell me a little bit about the advantage of having all of that within one house. Well, the disadvantages is when we had back in the 80s and 90s and the 2000s, where we had everything being controlled by a entity as the record label, the difference now is that we have independent record labels that can select uh, what it is that they want to house. I believe that when you're able to house your staffing as it is a radio person and then allow the record company to have a radio person, I'm just like a follow-through kind of person and I don't trust. So whatever the record label may have, it is my job as a publicist and as an administrator to have almost the same. I, I, I believe that there's so many missing pieces to the puzzles, to the puzzle of music now because we give the freedoms to develop or the freedoms for our, our artists to have their own record labels, that they miss all the right ingredients. They're, they're missing the importance of developing an artist. I call what they do record development versus artist development. I think when you're putting everything underneath one roof, you're going to make sure that things you're done dotting I's and crossing T's versus it being in the hands of people that you have to go in and see and meet and you just become a statistic as opposed to someone like my firm who's going to be there uh, every single day, seven days a week, not five days a week, to make sure that all the buttons are being pushed in the right areas. Makes perfect sense. And, uh, you know, I know that the industry has definitely changed uh, in regards to how things are distributed. You mentioned the social media aspect and the independent label aspect in terms of how times have changed with it using, used to being a large conglomerate, you know, that basically controlled everything, but now with the independence uh, definitely has an influence on how music is produced and distributed, for sure. Right. I don't know, man. I think that I think what we really need is we need a collective with regards to our community of folk in the music industry. We need to be able to share knowledge, and we need to be able to teach our young people um, the white, white, the the white way and the white way of doing business. There's a difference in being black music and white music, and yes, I'm saying this. There's a whole nother development in terms of white executive versus black executives, and yes, I'm saying it. We will have and we will produce all the dollars and cents, uh, create the music, create the sound, and then our artists go broke. There's something that we're doing wrong. There's something that somebody's not teaching. Someone is not being educated. Why is it that we have foundations like the R&B Foundation and all these foundations that are to aid and assist our African-American artists uh, because they're in dilemma, yet they sold millions and millions of dollars of records and they have nothing. So there's the right way, there's the white way, and then there's the black way. So we have to figure out those three missing pieces to the puzzle. And I really believe that there are missing pieces to the puzzle. 
There is absolutely, when we start talking about ownership of our masters, we're now just fighting for it. It took a Ray Charles and it took so many others in the forefront to fight for their masters because they understood the importance of ownership. Exactly. We have to begin to understand what our publishing and ownership is all about. It's the business of music. It's not music. It's the business of music. You have to be able to be able to join hands in both of those. It's a marriage. Mm. And we go, we go totally unsung when it comes down to capitalizing on dollars and cents. Some of the your artists are out here going to the Senate fighting for the money that they sung for, that they, that they, they don't get anything for. There's, a, there's something wrong and somebody's holding all of their money. There's something going wrong here, Brian, when we start talking about the music industry. And who wins in it and who loses in it. I guess it's how you play the game. But if you if you don't tell me how to define, if you don't tell me how to play the game, I, I, then I'm going to never know how to win. No, that's so true. For those of you just joining us, uh, welcome to 52 Conversations. I'm your host, B. Moore, and my guest today is Angelo Ellerby, who is the founder and CEO of Double Exposure Media. And we're having a great conversation here about music and artist. Speaking of which, Angelo, you've managed artists ranging from DMX to Laura Branigan. Now, yeah. <laughs> that's quite a range, first and foremost. But tell me, what were some of the generalities in working with you know, such ranging artists? But then also tell me some of the specific nuances of working with someone who's in the hip-hop genre as opposed to someone in, say, with uh, Laura Branigan... Uh, the pop music genre. You know, I'm going to tell you, the only difference is the business of music. Um, it's that business side. It's how much they let you into really, really learn from and to grow by. Music is music. It's the business is what the question mark is. Always going to be the question mark on the music side of it. You know, for, for working with X outside of the day-to-day dilemmas of his personality, it had nothing to do with hip-hop music. It was a it was a business, and a business that I understood very well. It had everything to do with the core of where we had to go to get our funding. You know, when people say, oh, I signed for $2 million, or I signed for $20 million, well, that $20 million is not all yours. You got to be able to pay. If, if you're worth $20 million to them, uh, and that's what they're going to give you, that means they must be getting what? They must be getting $90 million on you. Mm-hmm. You have to, I, I just really believe that before you jump into anything, you have to clearly get an understanding of what water you're jumping into. And you have to be so thorough and so anal to the point that you ask a billion questions so that it makes sense and that you must build your team of people on the trust system, your lawyers, your business managers, people who are going to oversee and supervise and manage your career. You want to make sure that these people have a sense of knowledge where they can go in and they can stand ground for you. Well, you don't know it. I don't think that I, I think that an artist has to be involved. 
I don't think that they should not be involved. But, ah, oh, they don't need to know this. They need to know everything. Because a manager is going to come and go. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like, I always tell people you should have a courtship, then an engagement, and then marriage. Marriage would be a manager for a very long period of time. Because that means that doing all this time, they're receiving percentages of your dollars and your cents. Mm-hmm. So if you do not understand what their qualifications are, what they're bringing to the table, how smart they are, or you will find out how dumb they are when you're not making any money. Mm-hmm. It's really important that we take the time to understand the business of music. And that's it, it, it has nothing to do with an instrument or a vocal. It has everything to do with you reading, comprehending, asking a billion questions until you get the answers that you're looking for and proceeding from that point on. Definitely. You know, Angelo, and I, I can hear the passion in your voice about all of these matters. And, and I know that you, you've been passionate enough about this to the point where you started offering artist development courses. And I want to ask you, when did you start that process? I started at like mid-80s. And what I saw taking place, I started working for this young lady by the name of Dionne Warwick. And I saw and had many conversations with Ms. Warwick about uh, the good old days of the 60s and 70s and 80s and the trials and tribulations one had to go through in being a recording artist, particularly of her status, and that she can go and sing for the king and queen of England yet not being able to stay in a five-star hotel, but it had to stay five miles down the road. Or, I don't know, man, I can go through so many episodes of, of what, the, what the journey has been that brings me to this point. And yes, I am very passionate. And that's why I don't believe I work because I, it's all a passion. I just want to see that everyone is getting and everyone is being treated fairly. And the only way that we know that people are being treated fairly is that we have the wits and the knowledge to understand what this business is about. Please, I, I beg upon your listeners and those people who are involved in music to really educate yourself before you say that you're somebody's manager, before you say that you're somebody's assistant. Yeah, yeah. Just know what the job is, understand what the job is, and become the best negotiator that you possibly can be for your talent, or don't do it. I see. You know, um, you you through these classes that that, that I just mentioned, uh, you you affected individuals like Alicia Keys and Mary J. Blige, and in terms of you know just being able to be there early on in their careers. And can you speak a little bit to the importance of an artist, specifically early on, having good guidance? Because that just sounds like it's so important. Well, it's, it, it's the same, you know, Brian, it's the same thing when we're being raised by our mothers and fathers. They give us good guidance. They give us unconditional love. And that's the same thing that I try to do to my artists to this day. Now, when you can't listen to what I have to say, I tell you, let the door hit you with a good Lord split you. Because I want you to understand that this is not a part-time job. This is a full-time job that means you have to do a full-time days of work. That doesn't mean to 
just going in there singing the song and, and, and creating the hook. That means that you have to go into your interviews, you have to go into all your promo runs, you have to, and then you should know about your business. You should want to sit down with your managers and sit down with the people on your team and go over the day-to-day so that you stay in the loop of your of your business. We lose out so much because we want somebody else to handle our business. And that's all good if we have an A person. But I also believe that that A person has to be a person that is going to inform you with the wherewithals of what is actually taking place in your career. Yes, I, there's a 24-week artist development course, course that I teach diction and speech and mannerisms, and I teach them travel, and I treat, teach them uh, business, uh, business etiquette as well. All these things are important for me. These are the things that were taught to me as a child. These are the things that I've grown by uh, and I've negotiated my business by. Uh, and I just want to share it back and simply say, Slow it down. You don't want no instant coffee. You want brewed coffee. If you want something instant, it's going to come and it's going to go. Why don't you smell the aromas of a good cup of coffee? Why don't you see the granules being grated? Why don't you smell the good sense of a coffee versus getting a cup of instant Sanka with some water and you go on? It's almost like social media. If we all got whatever they're selling on social media today, it's not selling us. Because if you're presenting yourself totally nude and naked and all, with all this buffoonery, what are we really doing? You just need to see yourself. There's a mirror in everybody's house. See yourself through there. Don't put yourself upon. Don't put yourself up on all these social media stands, and you have nothing to offer. Be a contributor to your society. Offer something, not just your beauty. How about your intellect and your intelligence? How about helping the next person to the next level? How about sharing your day, sharing your, your bad experiences, sharing, sharing the good experiences of life? These are the things that's going to enrich us and take us to our next level. You know, speaking of experiences, you've worked with so many. Tell me about some of, the, some of your favorite experiences with some of the artists that you've worked with. Well, what stands out in my mind is Mary J. Blige. Because when Mary came to me, the first day I met Mary, she was about an hour and a half late. And um, my office was situated where it was an elevator in the office. So she was getting off of the elevator. She was an hour late, and I was getting on the elevator, going to lunch. And she says to the receptionist, I'm here to see Angelo. And I said, oh, hi, you must be married. She said, yes, I am. I said, I'm Angelo, and you're an hour late. And I'm leaving to go to have lunch. Let's try this again tomorrow. And the next day, she was two hours early. And we became very good friends after that fact. We began to talk about all the variables that was what she believed that was holding her back. Today, I'm very proud to say that, I mean, Oscar nominee, an Oscar nominee. Mm -hmm. This is a girl that I would sit and read with, tell her how to sit in a chair, how to have this kind of conversation, how you have to be in control of your life. Yeah, I'm very, very proud of Mary J. Blige. Because she stood on her own and she stood the test of time. Yes, she has. Yes, she has. No, definitely. Who, who else would you mention? In, in, yeah. Well, you know, people look at DMX and they look at him for me in the very wrong light. I, I happen to know the beginning of his life and understood what he 
had to go through. And so I was very patient. I managed him for five years. I, I thought I was very patient in trying to understand. Everything is not easy. and You have to take the time to really understand where somebody is coming from and what is plaguing them. And you shouldn't shut the door to it. I had to really sit back and have conversations with him about God, about Christ, about giving, about the heart. All those things were really important. And each and every single time that we would have these conversations, it would calm him down. It would give him a sense of accomplishment. And I would sit back and I would I would really compliment him and say, do you know that in, in, in two years you sold 26 million records? I said, you did this. You're coming out of the, you're coming out of the projects. And then we would talk about the importance of his children and his family and those things that was really plugging him. Sometimes you can get, you know, what I do is not, it's not a cup of instant coffee. It's brewed coffee. And sometimes it takes a little bit longer to touch someone than it is for the other person that didn't take so much time with. So I really, I, I applaud X because... He has to stay in power. He has trials and he has tribulations, and we all do. And this is the real thing about life. So one step at a time, as the gospel hymn goes, sweet Jesus, and we're just waiting and hoping and praying that he too will see his realities the way that he wants to see them. Um, it sounds like the bond that you two share, if that's continued, you know, to have that connection to people who can speak into his life and uh, influence, you know. Yeah, man, you know what? So many, we have a problem in this society, particularly with our males, about mental health. Mm -hmm. I've had so many clients have come my way if they have had mental problems. Uh, not to say that this is X's problem, I'm just talking in general. Yeah. Uh, maybe 15, 16 artists that I have dealt with. After I sit down and I have conversations with them and then I talk to mothers and fathers and loved ones, I found out there's a problem there. And it's a problem that nobody wants to deal with. Nobody wants to say that I am suffering from A, B, C, or Z. And when you figure it out and you're able to talk with them and they're able to put them in the hands of the right individuals that can aid in the system, it's a help. Maybe not in the music industry, but we're talking about an everyday reality of living life. No, that's important. That's important. So you, you have, Angelo, you have kind of culminated some of your knowledge and some of these experience together in uh, actually another book because you are the author of several books. But I want to speak specifically about your most recent release, which is called The Sense of Success. I thought this book was necessary. I thought it was necessary for today's climate. I thought that what this president is doing to children and their mothers and fathers, putting them inside of cages, having the parents look look down on them, separating them, mental health. Um, we're talking about um, domestic violence. We're talking about young kids taking their lives being bullied, I thought it was necessary to let everybody know, you must begin with you. I tell people each and every single day that I'm romantically in love with Angelo Ellerby. I love me some Angelo. And before I can love you, I have to love me. And I think it's really important when you're at a state 
in your life where you want to give up and you want to commit suicide and you don't want to you don't want to do anything anymore. I think that self love and then self preservations of taking care of yourself and being able to provide for yourself and not giving up on you. I just believe the same energies that it takes to be negative is the same energies that it takes to be positive. Why not be positive? And so this book talks to that artist, that that performing artist who didn't get to the apex of their success and wanted to start all over again, or the gentleman or the female that's coming out of jail and know what America is not going to offer them. How do they get over that? Uh, We talk about the child that is being bullied and are at their ends of wanting to commit suicide. My book addresses it all. And I think it all starts with you. It starts with loving yourself. And I believe that everyone has a scent, a smell, a fragrance of success inside of them. And we just need to bring it out. And I think that's what the book does. That sounds like a a wonderful message that's needed for a a right now message, I would say, that's needed for for this society at this time. At this time. Right. Definitely. My final question to you, Angelo, is is having to do with young artists who are out there who may um, have their sights or set on stardom or just interested in uh, wanting to become the best musician, performer, um, act that they can be. What would be some of the basic advice that you would give to them starting out? You know, I would simply say select select to be very careful in selecting your team of people uh, that you have around you. I believe that demons come in disguises. They come as your friends. They come as your managers. They come as your accountants. They come in many, and and they come in some awkward ways of your life. I think that it's really important that you're selective about who you bring in your life, who you attach yourself to. And then by any means necessary, let no one stop you from dreaming and reaching and having your realities, no matter what. Humpty Dumpty had a great big ball, but he got back up. They put them all back together again. So you're going to fall down. But when you fall down, you have to ask yourself the question, why did I fall down? Then ask yourself the other question, how am I going to get back up? I remember at the closure of my New York office, my accountant came to me and said, I think it's time for you to find a small location. And I was so upset, 17 people. Um, I called my mother. And my mother said to me, you know, I'm in the middle of cooking my collard greens. What is it that you want? And I went in to tell her, she said, how did you begin? I said, Ma, I'm in the basement of the house. She said, well, pack all that stuff up, put it in boxes, go find you a smaller place and try it all over again. And so what I'm saying to young people, don't don't feel that you're being defeated. That you're not defeated. You get chances. God is so wonderful that he grants you so many chances to start all over again. Sounds like excellent advice. My guest for today has been Mr. Angelo Ellerby. He is the founder and the CEO of Double Exposure Media and Angela, I just enjoyed all of what you've said today. You speak with such passion, and I hope that the work that you have done is influencing not only the artists that are under your firm, but just artists 
uh, who you may never touch and may never realize through your books and, and just through your teachings. Let me say this to you. Without people like you, my words have no value. So please continue to serve your public, your listeners, with informative information that will give them bright insights for a better tomorrow. So I thank you. You can find Angelo Ellerby's book, The Sense of Success, on Amazon and learn more about his artist development courses as well as his line of scented candles at dxxnyc.com. 52 Conversations is a production of More About You. Join us next time.